We just finished our small group series. Uh, we, went, we coincided with, with James, Pastor James, and talking about praying, loving, and serving. And we did our small groups talking about the same, the same topics. And it was, it was great because I didn't have to do as much work because James did it for me. And so I was like, hey, that's a good one. Those, we're going to take that and just apply it to the youth. And so we did that. And, and when we got to the serving part, I, I noticed serving was something that I was able to keep the kids accountable on. Like, you know, praying, loving, those are all good things. You know, they go home, hopefully they do it. We challenge them to do it. We try to keep them accountable. But serving, I mean, I can get on these kids immediately to start serving. Like, I need these chairs put up, right? And so, so it, it's good because I could be, you know, I would, I would do something, and I'd be like, hey, just serving, y'all, don't worry. And then they would see it, and then they would do it. And they're like, oh, don't worry, you know, coach, I'm just serving. And then I, we were able to kind of make a thing out of it to where now these kids are seeing the value in serving, and, and seeing how doing stuff for others actually does more for you. And it's, it's, the society doesn't teach kids that that's how it is. They don't teach anymore that giving is better than getting. They teach that do everything for yourself. Do everything you can to invest in yourself and don't worry about other people. You gotta worry about yourself, no one else will. And that's no way to go through life because you end up miserable with, with no friends, right? So you, it's really important that um, we got that into them. So, that was awesome. We challenged them to do a 21-day fast. We asked them to give up something that, that they cared about or, or a habit or something that they did to try to pray. And we made them write it down on cards and take it home and, and really was hoping that, that, they would, that they would do it. And so at the church, we did the same thing. And, and we're coming out of the 21-day fast. And, and now we, we're in this, this weird spot of we just got through that. Now what's God calling us to do? Because now is the time to be sensitive to where God's moving us now. And now is the time it's important that we listen and we do the things that he is asking us to do. Um, and that's where it becomes very, very important. So we spent a little bit of time um, with them talking about um, what it means to be a servant leader. And what happened with this term servant leader, the first time I'd ever really heard it, um, I, I, was, I was coaching football and the head coach who hired me, and that was a big thing for him. It was a big mantra. I mean, he's a, a great guy. He's a, he's a great, strong Christian. He's actually starting his first year at Fletcher next year. So I'm really excited about him getting in there and getting over at Fletcher and kind of getting to the public school in the beach area. But he had, this, he had this thing where it was about servant leadership. And he would always try to hammer that home to the kids. Being a leader is about being a servant. And they are the same thing. And so that's a big thing for me too. And I try to teach these kids, if you want to lead people, they have to see you serve them. That's the way that it works. It doesn't matter if it's a friend group. doesn't matter if it's at work. doesn't matter if it's school. doesn't matter if it's a sports team. That's how it is. All right. Um, I, I'm like super fascinated with this book that was written in like 500 BC called The Art of War. Right. It was written by this guy named Sun Tzu. He was like a Chinese general. And basically he wrote this like manual on about how to fight wars. And it's like lasted the test of time. Uh, West Point graduates required reading for them. I mean, it, it transcends war. It goes to business, to personal life uh, on how to approach things. And, and you, you, you've probably heard some, some lines from it in your day day life, right? Like the saying, uh, keep your friends closer, enemies closer, right? That's from that book, right? And so it's, it's little things like that to, try, you know, to help leaders and to help people that are organizing people. And, and the, it, has, it has all of these things about, you know, terrain, fighting on which terrain, when to attack, uh, where to look weak and to make your opponent think you look weak here, but really be strong here, when to attack, when to retreat. It's crazy. The only thing it says about leadership in the entire book 
is a leader leads by example, not by force. The only thing. This is 500 BC Chinese general, how to lead by example. If they can get it, and we see it in the Bible, that's how Jesus led, then that's probably something that we should take hold of. So I told James I wanted to really, you know, talk, tell you guys about, you know, why servanthood was important to me and why it always has been and why we've been trying to hammer it home to the kids. And, and the challenge that I want to ask you guys is, is how are you leading? Because everyone in here leads something or someone, family, school, whatever, uh, work, whatever it is. So how are you leading? And... Um, I was spending time in my, in, in my quiet time, and I was praying, and I was meditating on, on the word, and I was like, you know, what, what should I, you know, what do I want to talk about, you know, what story, what, you know, thing in the Bible, because, you know, I want to bring the Bible into this, I don't want to just go up here and talk about the art of war, because like, that was a weird church service, right? So, uh, so basically, I was meditating on it, and, and I couldn't get this one story out of my head, and I kept trying to move past it, I was like, God, I don't even understand this story, let me just get, I mean, I get it, I, I think I get it, and, and he's like, no, just stay on it, don't go, don't move, and, and it was the story of the rich young ruler, and I was like, why do you keep bringing me back to this? Like, I'm not rich. I'm not a ruler. And I'm not that young anymore. So why does this doesn't even apply to me whatsoever, right? And so he's like, no, no, keep reread it, reread it, reread it. And I kept rereading it, rereading it. And then one of the times it finally hit me. And I was like, that's not what this is about at all. I totally have been missing it for all these years of what this is about. So we're going to look at this a little bit and we're going to see what is this story really, really talking about? All right, so this is in Matthew 4, 18. And this story is actually in like three of the gospels. So three different people have accounts of this happening. This isn't like a, you know, one trick pony, right? This happened, right? We have multiple accounts, multiple witnesses of this. And, and Matthew, right? Matthew, what's funny is Matthew was a, was a tax collector. So this guy, you know, if you don't know much about tax collectors is they were not liked, you know, the, they had this great system. The Romans had this great system where they would take like a, a publican, they would call him, right? It was an influential member of each community. And they would say, okay, you're the tax collector and you're the tax collector. And they would go into all the communities and, and appoint one. And basically they would give these publicans like power and money. And in exchange, they would basically like, you know, blackmail their fellow Jews. And they would get taxes out of them and report them and put them in jail if they didn't do it. And they got a little bit of taste of power and money. And that was enough for them. So people hated these people. Matthew was hated before he followed Jesus. So it's ironic that a fellow hated person about money is going to be talking about this guy who is known for his money. Okay? So we're going to go, um, we're going to start in verse 17. Um, I know I said 18, but I'm sorry, I lied. Verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I have obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? 
This amazed them. But Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Okay, so I know it's a lot of verses there, but it's, it's important. It's important what happens here because um, if we really look at what we know about this guy, um, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, assume that this, this story is about rich people and what it takes for rich people to get into heaven. Not, not at all. Not at all. Jesus is using this rich person to show an example. What do we know about him? He's rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. That's all we know. That's all we know about the guy. We don't know his name. We don't know what he did. We don't know how rich he was. We don't know anything about him. We just know those three things about him. So you may be thinking, well, he was rich. I'm not rich, so it doesn't apply to me. Well, not true, right? If you think about it, um, we are all actually very rich. Uh, There was a Yale professor who did, he's a, a political science PhD professor, did basically a study in the world about the global economy and the median income. And basically, he, he, came to this, um, he came to this that the world median income outside of the United States is $2,000 a year. That's it, $2,000 a year. I mean, I don't know what you make, but it's hopefully more than $2,000 a year, right? It's, it, that's, that seems like such a low number to us, and that's the median income, the middle. That's the middle. So compared to the rest of the world, everyone sitting in this room is insanely rich, okay? So we are, we do fit this profile already, okay? All right, the second one, um, he was young, all right? Well, why is this important? This is important because you have to understand in this time that this was written, like people saw like rich young people as people that had favor with God. So when this person would come around, it was like, okay, this is one of God's favorite people because they, he blessed him with money at a young age, whereas I'm having to work for it. He must have done something right. His family must have done something right. He must have favor with God. He must have like a, a little bit more of a blessing than everyone else on him, right? And that's how, that's, how he was, that's how he was viewed. He was viewed on a scale up here, and then everyone else thought of themselves like down here. So that's going to be important later, okay? And then the third thing we know about him is that he was a ruler. We don't know what type of ruler he was, but we know he had some sort of power, right? He had some sort of domain over people. We don't know to what extent, but the Bible leaves it at basically that he had influence, which is, I like that it's vague like that, because we all have influence. We can all find places in our life that we have influence, some more than others, but we all do to a certain extent. So have I convinced you that this story is applicable to you yet? All right, we've gone through it, all right? So now we're gonna get into it. So if we go back to verse 17, it says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, okay? So let's stop right there. I want you guys to all ask yourselves, when's the last time you ran? Think about that. Some people, oh, I ran this morning before church. Yeah, you know, you didn't. It's freezing outside, right? I did see some people running, and I was like, what are y'all doing? It's, you know? But anyways, when's the last time you ran? Like, this guy was running up to Jesus. This wasn't like a casual stroll, or they was waiting around, and Jesus walked up. This, this guy ran up to Jesus. He wanted to get there as quickly as he could. And sometimes I think we, like, gloss over the word run until we think about the last time that we ran for any, like if I'm running, I'm running from something. Like, I, like it's not like I'm, I'm never like, oh man, let me just run on this treadmill for a little bit, right? So it's, this is what's important to this guy to, to get there. 
So and the next verse says, as Jesus, um, the guy asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this is an actually a very valuable question. Anytime Jesus is going to answer the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's something that we should probably listen to. It's pretty important because this is what this is all about, is spending eternity with, with Jesus, right? That's what we all want to do. So when this question is being posed to Jesus, it's important. And also, it's being posed by someone who's genuine and someone who's sincerely looking for the answer. It's not being posed by a Pharisee who's trying to catch him saying the wrong thing. It's not being said so that we can be like, gotcha, that's not what the Old Testament says, right? No, this guy was genuine, like a teacher, person who educates what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is going to use this question to basically set the whole doctrine for what Christianity is. So, verse 18, Jesus, as he usually does, wants to get at the heart of the people. And he asks him a question. He says, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you must know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and your mother. In other gospels, um, it says that Jesus kind of summarized the next couple of commandments, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, right? So Jesus is, is, is saying, you know, well, you know, the, what, what does the Old Testament say? Old Testament says you have to do all this stuff and you have to follow all these rules. And it's funny because you can kind of tell by the way that Jesus is saying it that he's kind of like setting them up, right? He like summarizes a couple of them, right? You can tell he's like kind of setting them up for something here. And um, there, there's a misconception in Christianity from the outside world that, that it, 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 it's legalism, right? Uh, Robert and Cindy came up here and talked about it. We're spot on. Young people and old people alike have no interest in legalism whatsoever, they don't care about rules, old rules that were written on stone tablets hundreds of years ago. They don't care about that. What they see is love. And when they look at Christianity, that's why they think it's about legalism. Just like the rich young ruler, they think it's about following a bunch of rules. So what happens? They see a Christian break one of these rules they're supposed to follow, and now all Christians are hypocrites. Because your religion's all about rules. You're breaking rules. You're part of the religion. You're a hypocrite. They're missing the whole point. It's not about rules. And that's what Jesus is going to say with this story. So he goes on, asks him the question, um, uh, and then the, the, the rich young ruler replies, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Okay, so uh, looking at him, at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Now this is, like Jesus genuinely loved this guy. He was pursuing knowledge. He was pursuing the answer. His heart was in the right place. Oftentimes our hearts can be in the right place. And, and Jesus, and he has compassion for this man. He sees through him. Jesus gets at the heart. He sees that his heart is genuine. And Jesus responds to him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. If he went away sad, for he had many possessions. So basically Jesus said, all right, you want to do it the legalism way? You want to do it the rules way? You want to try to get in by your works? You want to try to get in on your own merit? All right, here's your next step. 
Sell all your possessions and follow me. Give to the poor. And the guy's like, man, I mean, he goes away sad. It's a thing he can't do. It's the thing he's holding on to. That's the thing he can't break. It's the, he can, is it realistic that he followed every commandment from youth? Probably not. But he probably was trying really hard if he would say, look Jesus eyeball to eyeball and say that I've done that, right? He probably was genuinely trying to be a good person more than probably anyone else. And still, to someone Jesus genuinely had love for, Jesus looked at him and said, well, you will never get to the end of legalism. You will never reach the criteria that it takes to earn your way into heaven. There's nothing you can do. And so he, he challenged him. Jesus is going to challenge him on his true treasure. Jesus is making a massive point here on challenging him on his true treasure. If we look in at ourselves and we ask ourselves, what is our true treasure? Some people, it is money. Some people, it is social status. Some people, it's, you know, the prestige they have or how people view them or what they look like on social media or how their family can smile and take a picture on holidays and look happy, right? So everyone has these things they try to hang their treasure on and they try to do. And Jesus is trying to get after that. Jesus is digging at the heart and saying, what is your true treasure? So this is the principle that God's calling us to act in a way that goes beyond this world principle of stockpiling our resources, right? We're taught, you know, you know, take care of yourself and then whatever's left, take care of your family and, you know, keep it in that tight family bubble because I earned this wealth and I'm not going to give my money to these people that aren't working. I worked for it. This is mine, right? And, and we get in, in this mentality that, that we're, trying to, we're trying to hold these treasures near and dear to our heart. Uh, why? Because, you know, money and resources, you know, equals you know, being able to live and pay your bills. And that's not a bad thing to do. But what, but what God's after is the treasure of your heart. Some people's treasure of their heart isn't money. It's their time. Some people's most valuable commodity is their time. They work so much, they have this small little window of free time. And you can take my money, you can say whatever you want about me, but you're not taking this window of time that I have, right? And that's their most precious commodity. Some people, it's, it's, it's family. Some people, it's things like that. And, and God is saying, look, you have to chase after the right things. Your heart has to be in the right place. In verse 23, it says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? This amazed them, but Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Well, the first time I read this, I said, there's no way I can talk about rich people and money in church. There's no way. Like, this is like the stay away from this, like, we'll skip this part and move on to other Jesus parts, right? But then Jesus is like, you're, if, if you think this is about money, you're missing the point. If you think this is about rich people not being, having to give their money away to be saved, you're totally missing the point. See, people in, in, in old times, this rich young ruler was it, 
a guy with all this money. He was young. He had all this influence. And he was a good person. He's following all the commandments. If this person can't get into heaven, then who can? So the disciples were saying, I don't even hold a candle to this guy. If he can't get in, then who can get in? And God's saying, exactly. Humanly, no one can get in heaven. Not one. But with God, anything is possible. And so often we get so caught up on what we can do. And we get so caught up on what we can offer. And that's not what God's interested in at all. Because if we truly give our heart to him and we make him our treasure, he will put us where we have influence. He will put us where we're successful and where we can have money. And, and, and he will get us by. I mean, the Bible says that, that his mercies will provide for us. That each day we wake up with enough provision to get through the day. That's a promise from God. So if we follow him wholeheartedly, then there will never be a day that we're without and that we won't have enough for what he needs us to do. So what is your treasure? What do you place your treasure in? Because sometimes, sometimes we, we like to, you know, we can't take these like minor losses and battles to win the war because we, we're holding on to our pride and our ego. Like if a family member, you know, if, if we let a family member get the last word in, right? And, and at the end, and we get our peace and we keep the relationship intact. That's worth it. Holding on to our pride. You're like, no, I'm getting the last word in. You're not going to disrespect me, right? That, that's, that's putting your treasure in yourself and in your pride. So you can see when you, be, when you make, when, when, when God becomes a treasure of your heart, it changes your outward actions. It takes yourself from being the center of attention in your pride, and your ego, and now it's on God. And now he can use you to influence people, and he can use you to touch the lives and to show love to people who are not interested in rules. And the people who are not interested in that, but they're interested in how you treat them. Interested in love. Jesus is going after your heart. There's something in all of us that we struggle with. Every single person in here. We all struggle with something in our heart, and, and God knows what that is. God knows what those things are. I mean, this guy looked, like I said, looked Jesus straight in the face. Jesus ran up to Jesus and said, what do I have to do? I'm living a really good life. And Jesus said, that's, that's not good enough. It's not. You want to try to lean on, you want to try to lean on your actions? You want to try to lean on all you've done for the church to get you into heaven? You want to try to lean on the, all the things you've brought to, to the world and the church? Well, you might as well just try to stick a camel through the eye of a needle because that'll be easier. Because the standard for God and his grace by our actions is perfection. And that is not attainable by anybody. So there is another way. And that's what God is saying. That's what Jesus is saying in this story. He's saying, don't rely on yourself. Don't rely on your money. Don't rely on your influence. People saw this man and thought that he was doing everything right. People could, let's translate that to nowadays. There's some people who are, you think, they, man, they're probably doing everything right. But it doesn't matter. We're all in the same boat. We're all, 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 we're all receiving God's grace. There's nothing that anyone's done more or less to get it. And once you kind of understand that, that'll change the way that you treat other people. And that'll change the way that you live your life. I'm going to have the, uh, the band's going to come up to wrap it up here.
But while they're coming up, I want you to think about what is God after in your heart? See, Jesus just had an encounter with someone who put all their value in what they had to offer. And so many times we put our value in what we have to offer. We spend money on our education. We spend our time improving ourselves so that we have more to offer. And when it comes to life and our families and work, that's a great thing. But when it comes to trying to, to impress God and try to be the, a better Christian than others around us because of that, then we're missing the point. We're missing the point of the story and that it's God's grace that saves us. And it sounds like a very basic thing that you may hear in church services all the time, but it's nice to be reminded because we all take pride in things that we do. We all take pride in things we know or our abilities. And it's hard not to, because you work, like I said, you work and you spend so much time and resources on those things. But God is after your heart. God wants us to put our value in him. The only way that this rich young ruler would really understand, understand where his heart lied was for Jesus to hit him right where his pride was. So Jesus may hit you right where your pride is. It may not be money. It may be something else. But he's challenging you because he's after your heart. What are you holding on to in this life? What are you unable to surrender as your pride and treasure of your heart? Many people ask, if, if salvation is through grace, what is our motive for godly living? Why not just do whatever we want and be saved by grace? That's the point of this story. That's the point. If, if our treasure is truly in God, if, our, if God is truly our heart's treasure, then, then the outward expression of our actions is godly living. So God's not interested in you just saying, the grace prayer. He's interested in your heart because that's where the actions flow out of. So the challenge to you is to analyze your heart and to analyze where are your actions coming out of? Because Jesus is our motive and God wants us to value our relationship with him over everything else in life, over every single thing he wants to value our relationship with him. We never ever want to have a, a church service go by where you don't have an opportunity to get prayer. Maybe there's something in your life that you need help with prayer, surrendering over to God. Maybe there's, there's something that you know is holding your heart back from truly making God the treasure of your heart. Maybe there's just something in your life you need prayer for. Maybe there's sickness or illness. Maybe you've never thought about your works not measuring up to God and that it's all about an outward expression and about turning your life over to God. We're gonna have our pastors and elders up here to pray for you and anything you need prayer for, th th they will do. And, th and they will stand in agreement with you and stand in confidence that we're gonna depend on God on all of these issues. So as they come up and we enter into worship, ask yourself, what's in your heart? What is your greatest value? And what are you holding on to? And as we enter into worship, use the time. God will move in worship. When you spend time worshiping God and putting God ahead of yourself, those are the times when God speaks to you. 
So I, I wanna challenge you like I challenge the youth when we do worship. Use this time wisely. Value this time. When's the next time you're gonna be worshiping God this week? So don't waste this time. Use this time to analyze your heart. And if you need prayer, the pastors and elders will be up here.